Welcome to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenhouse. We are grateful to WVU, who offers renowned online master's degree programs in marketing communications, and this series is presented by the Reed College of Media as part of their ongoing marketing series. Thank you for joining us today. Cindy, I have this good friend in New York who... I've known for many years, and he's really one of the most connected people on the planet, David Berkowitz. Oh, wow. I thought that was you, Ruth. (laughs) (laughs) No, it's him. And he's been a digital marketer for a long time. And on the side, he has this really interesting network called Serial Marketers. And just recently, I learned that he's really an expert in search. He's been keeping an eye on it forever. And in fact, he predicted that social would be the new Google back in 2006. So yeah, so let's get him in here to talk with us about search. It's such a fast moving subject, shall we? Yes. David, welcome. Thank you. Great to be here. David, this is great. I have heard so much about you and uh, from Ruth and also in following your newsletter and and your content. And so it's wonderful to have you as a guest. Um, If you don't mind, Ruth, can I um, ask David the first question? Yeah, please. I'm fascinated because you have um, all these different interests, but um, what drew you to search and why did you decide to follow it so closely? Well, search is psychology writ small. You get in people's heads in this fascinating way uh, and, and ways that, that just people never had access to before. And so much of it, especially in aggregate, winds up being public. You, you see Google Trends, for instance, you see a, a changes in language use. You see that then in terms of the manifestation of it and the content that people publish to match up with what people are looking for. And so when search rose to prominence about 20 years ago, then it started scratching that psych major itch of mine from college, the, the, the writing and linguistic itch that I've, I've had basically since I started to become literate uh, about 40 years ago. And so uh, so seeing this play out now and, and, and seeing just like, you know, what does that mean? I think that there are just so many kinds of signals you can understand for it and ways to understand not just marketing, but what's going on inside people's heads. Mm, that's really neat. I, I loved the article you wrote recently called, Is TikTok the New Google? And um, oh. Isn't that a terrific title? Mm-hmm. And he analyzed 12 predictions, Cindy, um, that he had made back in 2006 and how they panned out. And I'm wondering, David, what? how are you seeing the, the balance between organic and paid search? Is, are we, you know, has it changed based on the algorithms or people's preferences or what, what's going on between organic and paid? Well, what, I mean, one of the biggest things that's changed, and this has been changing quite a 
bit over the past five or 10 years, but it just looks more and more visible every time you go into Google is, is well, two things really. One is Google gives more and more prominence to answers, which include ads. And so, so Google wants to give you what you want. So uh, uh, back when I was starting out in uh, working with uh, SEO firms, and this was really dated back to 2004, okay, when I was with iCrossing, that became part of Hearst. Uh, uh, the idea, uh, there, there were a lot of articles about how to rank on the first three pages of Google. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, now two things have happened with that. One is that is that if you're not on the first page, you're essentially invisible for any given search. And the second is there isn't even such a concept of pages anymore because you have these tiny mobile screens, even the biggest, right. uh, uh, even the biggest form factors with the iPhone 14 Super Max Pro Plus, whatever it is, is still tiny compared to your laptop screen. And so there's very little real estate to see results and far less patience to go and wade through and see, oh, oh, I wonder if there's something I really want that's on page five, that diamond in the rough. Normal people do not do that. So it's then, uh, so, so you have to be on top or close to it, or you're basically not there. And so that means that Google continues to be able to sell however much they really advertise this. They continue to sell the importance of paid search as that way of making sure you're on that first screen. And and Google sells that because all of its advertising customers use Google. You see it, you feel it, you know that if you're not coming up there, then like you can't show this to your boss. You can't, you know, you like you can't take your clients. Like you're just not there. So that gives a lot of weight to paid search, and it gives a lot of weight to do when you do SEO. Then there's less margin for error. So that's really interesting, David. You know, there used to be a perception. You know, picking up on what Ruth was saying that organic search was more credible coming up in the search results and that paid searches, well, it's paid advertising. So um, you would give the search results less ranking in your mind than if than if a, an organic search came up first. Or it, do people think that way anymore? Or is that old school? Well, well it's it's not old school. And and you know, Google's also made paid search results more useful. If if I'm looking for say B2B marketing software, then uh, then Google allows advertisers, for instance, to deep link to certain pages within there. And so if I'm then in very active buying mode and I want to see case studies, then uh, and there is a sublink to case studies right there associated with the ad, uh, then I'm going to be very motivated to click it just because because Google, one thing that you know, they had their old mission statement, which uh, I'm going to butcher a little bit, but it was essentially to uh, uh, to aggregate all the world's information and make it more useful. Um, and and um, what Google was a very early proponent of, I think more than just about anyone else in marketing, is that they saw advertising as content, advertising as information, and to the point where 
advertisers would be rewarded where the best performing ads would then uh, uh, rank higher, you know, pay less to rank in the same position if your ads were performing better. You know, Google was trying to incentivize good behavior. And you can argue how successful they, they've been at that. But, uh, but the fact that Google saw ads as content in a way that I don't think most, you know, creative studios saw their own ads as content. They're like, yeah, wow. this is the stuff we have to do for our day jobs. Like, like we'll create content when we go and you know, make our feature film. And Google's like, it's all information. It's all content. It's all something that should be useful for what that person is looking for at that time. And if, and, and if the advertising and the so-called organic content wasn't matching consumer need, then Google was failing at its job. Wow. So that so what does this mean for marketers today and over the horizon? Are are there search practices that we're we're not doing or do we need to change how we think about organic and paid as marketers, do you think? Well, Google remains Google even if Google is part of Alphabet now, even if Google's part of something much bigger, but Google has that kind of staying power that that rarefied few have. Um, and, and so it's hard to see anything as a major threat to Google in, in the same way that something could be an existential threat to another company or even another company's business unit. Um, even with the rise of, uh, even with the rise of other uh, kinds of social video, for instance, uh, YouTube continues to thrive. It continues to be the, uh, if we look at a recent Pew study that came out, uh, then then just about everyone is using YouTube. Uh, uh, might change a, a bit just how much time people spend, but uh, but people are still spending an insane amount of time there, at least insane for me, like coming, yeah, uh, just like seeing them continue to just hold that seat of power for so long. But now there are lots of other ways that that people are are looking for information, and we saw early signs of this with uh, with Instagram, in particular, where people would look on Instagram for say like what looks good at a restaurant, right? Like a, like a lot of early local businesses on Instagram did very well putting visual menus there. Uh, same thing with you know, tourist bureaus and places like that, that like people would start looking and seeing, oh, well, if I wanna know what to do in Chicago this weekend, because say I'm running a marathon there, then I wanna go and and look at what are people sharing? What's something I want to make sure to go and see for myself and, and experience that way instead of just reviewing like a top 10 list on, on some travel website. Um, similarly, uh, Amazon was able to, to capture a lot of that interest where, where Amazon for many people is the number one place they go for product searches. So I'd say that's a threat for some of the uh, some of how uh, people search on Google because those commercial searches are very valuable. But again, there's uh, there are just those very few in that rich get richer category. So there can be more than one winner. There just can't be 
like a ton of winners uh, here. Um, uh, but but Amazon is is an incredibly valuable search uh, tool. YouTube's been an incredibly valuable uh, place for searching. And so with, with the rise of a, a, a few of these other kinds of platforms, like if you look at TikTok, then it's influencing consumer behavior. If, uh, people do want to know uh, what uh, what people they follow are interested in. And they, they want a, a shorter uh, a, a shorter path from seeing some kind of product in action used by someone who, whether or not they call themselves an influencer, they're influencing the consumer behavior. And now like, they want to be able to go and purchase that for themselves. I mean, my daughter who's eight and loves cooking will uh, sit down with me and see some of the these cooking videos on TikTok and she'll want to know more about just the cooking products, the foods, all these kinds of things. Like she's she's being influenced by it. Uh, so so all, all of this winds up changing when when you look at that, like how are marketers able to influence consumer behavior, uh, shorten the path to purchase, then then it just means taking a wider lens than Google itself. Yeah. So if it's okay with you, I'd like to um, ask um, what is sometimes a, a controversial question, but certainly a prickly one. And, and that's about the uh, the bots, predictive media buying, automated media buying and ad fraud. You know, we we have seen and have had a, a previous guest on our on our um, podcast who, who talks about how predictive and programmatic um, has proliferated ad fraud and that we as marketers are complicit in that because we're lazy um, and that the, that um, we're spending lots of money on 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 bad um, search. Uh, what what is your point of view on on that? And, and is there something that you think we as marketers could do a better job at? Well, there's there's some parts of it where the, uh, the, there's there've always been various kinds of waste in advertising, and that's been true in TV and radio, and before that in print, right? Like how, how many people got the old Sears catalogs where they all delivered to people's mailboxes? Uh, so um, so so there've always been kinds of waste, and now that we have this rise of programmatic, there more ways to gain the system and there is this uh, uh, and those that are trying to gain the system become more sophisticated there's ultimately the the end result right like like that it's not in marketers best interest to do anything that isn't delivering some kind of results uh, for them and it could be more top of funnel and changing brand perception and changing the nature of conversations about that changing the kinds of leads coming through uh uh change, uh, uh if they're running ads in uh, in the same ad in New York and LA, and they have a brick and mortar presence, are people more likely to then go and shop at their stores in one of those cities versus another? You know, are certain are are, uh, are are certain ads working better in some way? So there are lots of ways to tell what's working. Now that doesn't mean that uh, that marketers and publishers and everyone else should should excuse that kind of ways and and there are ways to just know what to look for there are ways to pay more for instance for 
verified impressions and and make sure that that the what you're paying for is actually delivered on the places and in the outlets that you're paying for them. And so it's like that, you know, trust but verify I, I, I idea. Maybe you should verify and then trust. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and so it's like, do marketers want to put a bit of that extra time and cost uh, as part of it, but make sure that not just are the ads, are the ads being run in the places that they're paying for, but when it comes to digital channels, and this includes connected TV and everywhere else, can are, are ads being delivered to real human beings? Uh, it, it, uh, and so, so if you're on the homepage of the New York Times and an ad loads all the way down at the bottom of it, and I'm not saying that the Times themselves is doing this, but a lot of publishers wind up you know, being part of this issue here. Like if an ad is loading below where any human being can see it, then if I'm an advertiser, I probably don't want to pay for that. You know, and so, uh, so that there is more, and some of it is just more prioritizing, asking your agencies, asking your ad tech companies, asking your publishers, if you're working with them directly, what can we do about this? What, you know, like what should keep me up at night? Right. If I'm the uh, advertiser, like, like how, like, how can I do those? And I still might say, you know what? I've run these campaigns a ton before. I'm getting a lot out of them. They're doing great. I don't want to go and add these other layers of complexity to it. Maybe this will be a 2023 or 2024, and that's fine, but at least just try to have that informed conversation so you have a little more sense of what you're getting into. Mm. So let's pretend you're the observer of things that wrote the predictions back in 2006, and now it's 2020. David, what are your predictions for where search is going? Well, I think that I, I think that we'll just continue to accelerate all these kinds of formats, right? Like it's it's fun to throw out ideas like the metaverse. So now, if the metaverse takes off, though, and that's a huge if, um, in any kind of uh, especially a, a kind of consumer context, then it means that there will be ways that that people are looking for things. And back in two thousand six, uh, around that time, I was searching. In Second Life, the big metaverse VR platform, I mean, uh, uh, yeah. metaverse, you know, headset to use it, but uh, but I like I was looking up brands in there. I, I was you know trying trying to kind of how how some younger consumers are using Roblox today, and they might be looking for that Spotify or Nike Island. So so as uh, as there's more complexity and variety in terms of where consumers are spending their time, it means that they're going to be looking for information and that there's gonna to be too much there to just uh, get presented to them. And so then it's just being part of that. And and what, yeah, however great or not my predictions were in 2006, I was using those platforms, I was in there, I was trying to learn them firsthand. So I might not have gotten it all right and I didn't, but it's like, like if you have access to something now, go for it. Mm. Go for it. That's great. Great advice. Well, well, thank you so much, David, for sharing some of your great insights with us on search and on where you think um, the future may be for us. As always, uh, it looks like the future is bright for us as marketers. Thank you. Thank you, thank you David.
Cindy, wasn't he a terrific guest? I love yes. his explanation of why he pays so much attention to search that it's psychology writ small and it appeals to his interest in human behavior as well as his marketer sense that was just so insightful and, and a fun takeaway. Yes, because, you know, how we search for things and how we're, um, Google is finding us and, and helping match content um, mm -hmm. shows what's happening and what we are asked, what are the questions we're asking uh, and what matters to us, right? So that was really interesting. I did, I thought the psychology writ small, that was a, a very clever way of saying it. Um, it was also really interesting to hear his comments around paid versus organic. I'm yeah. glad you asked the questions. And, you know, organic search in my mind was always the, um, the hero. Yeah, right? more credibility. But he yeah. really has opened our eyes to how, didn't he say advertising is also content? <laughs> Which, you know... Yeah. Wake up, creative. Wake up, marketers. Like if you're just putting, you know, ads out there that you're not paying attention, you're missing a huge opportunity if ads are now consumed as content, both by the consumer, but that Google considers ads to be content. Right, which I think they're ahead of us all because now, and as David pointed out, now it's a little alarming that this whole thing about, well, I want to be on the first three pages has gone away. We really need to be on page one. And Google is sort of holding us hostage to pay for that. So um, the accessibility through mobile and other teeny tiny screens has accelerated that process. Interesting. Right. And do you remember when... Um paid search ads were identified as paid, right? And so those were like the first two or three spots. You'd ignore them as a consumer yeah. and go directly to the first organic yeah. uh, search result to say, well, that's got to be more credible. Whereas now we all understand that the algorithms are so sophisticated. Um, companies have paid a lot to be in that spot. And if it's relevant content, it's okay that they paid to be yeah. in that first spot. Yeah. Um, and, and he also said there that, you know, we just don't have the patience anymore. We're not going to scroll on our mobile device or whatever device we're using to see anything past the first few entries. If I have a question, I want an answer. I want it right away. Right. And then I also appreciated how the context in which he put the inevitable question of Google's future and the other competing search engines, he said, well, of course, the power of YouTube and later Instagram and now TikTok is certainly a threat, but it's not an existential threat to Google. So that says to me that we marketers need to be everywhere. Right? Yes. And you know that um, while Google still dominates um, that also does mean there is an opportunity for other platforms still to get our attention and, and to gain market share, even if it's smaller amounts of it. 
Um, interesting that he said, you know, YouTube continues to hold such a strong place in search. And, and then he mentioned Amazon. Now, of course, I, owe, I mean, product search, of course, that's what's the first place you go. Amazon was first place. So many of us go Amazon. So what does that mean for where Amazon is going to go in the future when they know they already have our attention and they have our behavior in search? How are they going to leverage that? Well, they're already doing it by introducing massive advertising. Mm -hmm. So that, but I, I take some comfort in the fact that there are now so many competitors that more will come along, consumer behavior will continue to evolve, and that's all good for all of us. Absolutely. It does make it harder as a consumer and a marketer um, when you combine that with the conversations you and I have had with previous guests like Heather Blank about walled gardens and the Mm -hmm. disappearance of third-party cookies. So if you can't go to one Uh, you know, go to Google and everything you ever wanted is going to come through there. And um, if if we now are going to have these um, differentiated wall garden places, how do we as a marketer get to everybody, get to our audience, have us be visible? Um, We we better find out what the other places are and stay up to uh, speed like David can share with us. Um, what are the other search opportunities? Where are other consumers going? And while Google may dominate, they're not the only ones, right? Right. And that was reflected in his advice to marketers that we all need to stay in the game. We need to be familiar with all of these tools. And uh, and this is how we're going to stay on top of things and ensure that we reach our audiences sort of reminds me of the proliferation of of channels when cable came along and now you know we've got these walled gardens and television uh of the streaming channels that i think there's going to be a shakeout there but there are also going to be a number of walled tv environments that we're going to have to pay for like the ctv that we the connected tv and how we've we're seeing how that's changing the landscape as well um how can search you know think about what we're doing on our connected devices for search that are not mobile or not a computer driven like you said tv search right that's amazing um developments there you know um I thought his response to the question about ad fraud was interesting. We we also have had some very passionate. I was just thinking of Scott McNally, who said, you know, the the founder of and CEO of Sun Microsystems years ago said, there is no privacy, get over it. So David, <laughs> David saying, hey, you know, there's always going to be ad fraud. It just, you know, do, deal with it. But I appreciated that he he said, keep an eye on it so that, and I I took that to mean that if we continue to bug our our agencies, our other, our our direct um, publishers and 
be clear that we we know what's going on, that that will help keep a lid on the inevitable. Yes, like stay honest. Like he said, you know, there's always waste in advertising, but like, you know, police ourselves um, and keep ourselves honest. Um, and, you know, Ruth, just before we, we wrap, um, yeah. we didn't get to talk about the new Google Analytics and mm. how, um, you know, GA4 is completely um, turning everything upside down for us as marketers as they're redefining what's a lead, they're redefining inquiry. They're, so they're redefining uh, the metrics that they're using in GA and Google Analytics, which is a, a fundamental as you know me, the data marketer here, yeah. uh, it's a fundamental tool that we use for measurement of what's working and what's not. And I wonder how Google's redoing of the metrics and a- analytics is going to change marketing behavior in the future. Yeah. yeah, I'm sorry we didn't get a chance to ask David about that. Maybe we could get another guest to help us think through that. Yes, that would make a great future episode for us, wouldn't it? Thank you, Ruth. Thank you, Cindy. You've been listening to WVU Marketing Horizons, hosted by Ruth Stevens and Cindy Greenglass. Please be sure to visit go.wvu.edu slash mctoday to view our upcoming conversations, listen to previous discussions, and subscribe to receive